And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. We talk a lot about business on this show. We talk a lot about startups. We talk about a lot of things. Today, we're going to talk about the business of banking. That's not something we have had a semi-informed discussion about today. And I say semi-informed because we're going to do the best we can to talk about the business that banks are in. And, you know, there's some complexity to that. And I'm not going to pretend to understand all of it. Now, in order to help me understand it, I do have a guest that is from a very well-known bank. And also the, his bank is also the sponsor of today's episode. It's probably a good time for me to let you know that this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. SVB has been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for over 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank is built for what's next. You can learn more at SVB svb.com. If you really need it, there's a link in the show notes, but svb.com is pretty easy to remember. Back for more, I've got Ryan Larson, VP at the SVB Financial Group. Ryan, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Uh, excited to be here and uh, talk a little bit about banking. Is, is the is semi-informed, was that a, was that a, uh, is that an appropriate, uh, yeah, I uh, hopefully we can land closer to informed, but uh, I like to hedge a little bit, so that works for me. Yeah, I agree. I think that I think the important thing is if we set the expectation low and then we outperform that, then well, we're we're as the startups we're having an up round, then right? Well, I just yeah. don't want to have a down round. I don't yeah. want to paint ourselves as being experts. Now, you know, so much like I said, so much of what we talk about on the show is about businesses and different kinds of businesses. I mean, you know, at SVB, I know that your bank is a little bit different in your approach to a lot of stuff and the things you offer. Like, for example, you guys don't do SBA loans. Um, but And you also have a different outlook on startups and business, which is why we're as big a fans of SVB as you guys are supporters of us. So thank you once again for that. But I mean, before we get started, like overall, like what if we just have to define what business is a bank in? <laughs> uh, a softball that that could be harder to to answer than you might think. Um, I mean, a bank is really there to help you facilitate transactions. Um, so it's it's the backbone to how you're moving, accepting, um, and facilitating basically payments. So it's a large platform um, that hopefully you can leverage and get some value add out of if uh, they're doing it right. Yeah, I think if I have to try to hit that same softball, I might actually say well, what bank are we talking about? Because different banks seem to focus, have focal points on different things. Like when you look at a credit union, they 
uh, you know, they're, they're set up a little differently. They often lend differently and for different reasons. Uh, other banks specialize in home loans and business loans. And I mentioned, you know, SVB looks at things a little bit differently because you guys, well, let's talk a little, let, how about you describe what SVB does? What business are you in there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're a commercial bank. Um, SVB is part of the, you know, SVB financial group kind of umbrella of businesses, but at our core, we do commercial banking for, uh, innovative businesses, um, looking to support the startup economy. Our practices are focused on technology companies, uh, life science companies. And then we also have a funds services business, which is actually focused on the venture capital and private equity world. Okay. And that's not what most banks do. Correct. That would be a little niche. I think is what you'd call it. Yeah. And, and we don't have to go down the list, but how, how many banks are, are there other banks that do sit like that focus on similar stuff as SVB or? Yeah, I think, you know, there are certainly more banks in recent years that are beginning to kind of take what I would call SVB's lead into the technology space, simply because there's been so much uh, success in, in that area of the economy over the last, you know, decade plus. Um, but you know, when you think of traditional banking, you're going to think of, and this is a commercial bank. So I think it's important to make a distinction between, you know, where you bank at a retail bank, you know, with your personal finances versus, um, a bank that is focused on a business versus, you know, I think investment banks get thrown into the banking conversation as well. And those are three different categories. Um, but when you're thinking about just traditional banking from a commercial perspective, you're thinking about hard asset loans. Um, you're thinking of a place to park your money and try to get some yield if you do have excess cash. And really what they're trying to do is get deposits so they can facilitate other loans. Um, where SVB kind of differentiates itself from that perspective is we're actually looking forward at your performance and trying to basically tie what we think your projected enterprise value will be um, to our debt facilities. Uh, so when you think about kind of deploying capital from that perspective, uh, we, we tend to be a little bit unique. You know, we talked about that in, a, in another episode and that different outlook and approach. So let's test our answers here. So according to Investopedia, uh, a bank is a financial institution licensed to receive deposits and make loans. Banks may also provide financial services such as wealth management, currency exchange, and safe deposit boxes. You have several different kinds of banks, including retail, commercial, corporate, and investment. Uh, and in most countries, banks are regulated by the national government or central bank. And, you know, actually, this brings up a good point. So, um, you know, full scale, my business, we have uh, 180 employees in the Philippines and exchange rates, um, exchanging currency. Like I have to send U.S. dollars and the bank sends them over. And guess what? I'm a big client for them because, um, I mean, we send hundreds of thousands of dollars over that meaning that the exchange rate is something I actually look at every day, right? Right now it is 48.67 Filipino pesos to US dollars, which is low. But these things and these, these little facilitations, these little transactions and stuff like that, that's how banks make money. So they're in the business, like we said, of transactions. But overall, like the lending money thing is is big and you know that's whether it's home loans business loans car loans all of that and that's actually one of the things that frustrates a lot of startups so we've talked about that in a different episode so when it comes to you know like not just svb but overall 
why do you think that startups are often frustrated with the business of banking? Um, <laughs> well, I think there's uh, several reasons. I think when, when I think of startups, at least, you know, you're thinking of dynamic, fast-paced businesses, um, which historically are not words you'd use to describe banking. So uh, there's just kind of a fundamental cultural uh, kind of clash there. Uh, I also think, you know, oftentimes when you think startup, you're not looking back at, you know, some type of historical proof points um, that that company can lean on uh, in order to obtain traditional banking services. And I, I think that the combination of, you know, somebody moving fast and thinking forward versus something that's typically a little bit more bureaucratic and looking backward, obviously, is kind of a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and banks are banks to the what I like to just call the traditional bank. And I don't consider SVB to be a traditional bank. Like, you know, the bank that most of you have at the end of your street that has been there your whole life. Uh, my dad was on the board of directors of a traditional bank for years. And these banks are, well, some of them are are often bound by um well, they have they have lending rules, and a lot of those rules have changed and fluctuated. You know, I'm 45 years old, and um, at certain times, uh, you know, we look back at what we call the housing bubble or the financial crisis of 2008, and you know, there was uh, different administrations and people and leaders in government changed the rules for some of this. They tighten them up, they loosen them down, and you know, in, in the in the early 2000s to 2008 you could literally walk in and probably put your dog or your cat on a mortgage. And yeah, I mean, you could, people were doing it, you know, they had ninja loans, no income, no job, uh, you know, applications and, and things like that. And, and some of that uh, led to irresponsibility uh, both on the lending side and on the borrowing side. And then it creates different kinds of, of, of rules and regulations and, and parameters that banks can lend money out at. And some of that, and you mentioned, has to do with in a traditional bank, they're looking at, and this is where the business is, is strict for them. So if they're going to loan money out, they need to see certain types of assets, certain uh, years in business. I mean, a lot of stuff. And in and, and the other episode I recorded with you, I expressed my own frustration for that because I had a business that was producing hundreds of thousands of dollars a year after 18 months, which is crazy to start right there. But because we didn't check all the boxes, you look at something like a tradition, like an SBA loan. So the Small Business Administration works with banks to try to help small businesses get loans to get, get started, expand and do a lot of different things. But they have very strict check boxes, and if, and most businesses aren't in that, are, aren't at eighteen months, aren't in the position that we were in, and they didn't know what the hell to do with us, Ryan. Like they really didn't, and because you know they, they they hey we got to make these rules and other things too that that uh, you know when it comes to startups in the business of banking, tech startups don't have the kind of tangible assets that a construction company might have. A construction company has a bulldozer and an excavator and a fleet of trucks and things that look like assets. So some of that has changed the way that banks are, are loaning money and doing business. And it is affecting the way that they're doing business. Cause I'll tell you what, uh, back when we could go out and be around people, I would go to events, startup events, entrepreneur events, business events, 
And I'll tell you what, Ryan, man, would I see bankers at them. And I talked to all of them and all of them want us to put all of our money in the bank. And I would ask, well, what are you going to do for us? And they would look at me like a, I had just showed a, 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 a similar look to when I tried to show my dog a card trick. So, you know, just a little puzzled and, and that's okay. That's okay. But the business of banking is changing dramatically. I was just reading an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, the other day about how fintech won the pandemic. And, you know, it's like one of those things that, that really has changed what what do you see that is changing in the fundamental nature of banking or where is banking trying to change? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I want to start off by saying, I one, banks do serve a good purpose. So I'm not being disparaging to, um, you know, any type of traditional bank. I don't want to come off from that perspective. Um, and, and, you know, businesses like the SBA do a lot of really great things for uh, companies, obviously, across the country. Um, but there are oftentimes due to, you know, regulatory issues, there are problems with scalability. And that's why you get into this type of box checking scenario. Um, one of the things that, you know, with SBB, we try to be flexible and dynamic in how we're approaching uh, situations on a case by case basis um, and, and really dive into the business so that we can understand what's driving true value going forward. And I think um, one of the things, you know, around that point of flexibility that we have to focus on adopting, and I think all banks are going to have to really just come to reckoning with, is the fact that fintech is very real. It is picking up momentum, and there are options that are intuitive, easy, um, and kind of at everyone's fingertips that are just butting up left and right um, that we're going to have to adapt and get better or kind of join forces with in order to survive. So I think the future of banking is figuring out how to kind of blend some of the current technology with some of the new technology um, and, and really adapt moving forward because it, it fintech is happening um, and, and burgeoning fintech businesses are popping up everywhere at such a rapid pace that I, I don't see I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Oh no and if anything speeding up and you know so fintech or financial technology, um, you see a lot of different things popping up. Like I, I, you know, two years ago, I'd never heard of a neo bank, and <laughs> now and now they're out there. And you also have, uh, you know, there's other forms of, of fintech as well. Like, well, you look at Robinhood, you know, the trading platform, and just different things that that are that are in in many ways uh, disrupting the 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 status quo when it comes to banking. So when we talk about like the business of banking, I mean, and we mentioned banks give loans, they do transactions, but a huge part of income for big banks is service charges and fees. And that's part of what some of the fintechs are, are going after because, you know, and, and by the way, I'm not trying to, I, I'm not trying to disparage banks. I'm just a realist. I'm here on this show to just kind of tell it like it is. So if you want to hear me give Ryan softball hardball questions for the next probably 20 minutes i'm here for that but no but so, but some of that is i mean no one looks at their bank statement and goes oh cool that yeah that yeah i love that I, i'm glad they charged me that fee yeah and you know but at the same time a business has to make money they have to you know they're providing a service some are better at it than others and some take a different approach at it than others but but when it comes to fees 
and service charges. One of the more controversial things with banks is, well, a lot of them are like bounce checks and stuff like that, where someone with not a lot of cash. And the, the reason that they're controversial is when you're already broke, a yeah. bunch of bank fees uh, kind of puts you deeper into it. So, you know, that's a that's a big source of revenue. But overall, like really banks are in the, the lending money out. And that's that's why startup and early stage businesses have a problem with it because you can't just lend money to anybody that asks. You have to pick winners and they have a pretty tight formula for that. And you need to either have assets now I'll tell you a story, Ryan. So uh, a couple of years ago when we started full scale, I went out and I talked to a bank and I, I said, I want to borrow a million dollars. And they said, no problem. Uh, we're going to need you to sign over $10 million <laughs> of assets to borrow it. And I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the expletive out that I said, if I had $10 million, I wouldn't be here asking you for that. So, you know, that's, that's where that, that disconnect kind of occurs. But, but so with that, you know, and this isn't news to anyone, banks loan money, they charge a rate of return on that coming back. And that's really kind of the traditional nature of it. But when it goes awry, like it did in 2008, the federal government had to come in and bail all the banks out, you know, bail out a lot of different people. So, you know, that's, that's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I look at I look at money in general and uh, it's, you know, you talk to a couple of banks and they're competing over like a quarter of a percent. And I'm like, who's going to make it easier? Yeah. That's what I care about. Who's going to make that easier? But, you know, so so from the fundamental nature of business banking, what what affects that rate at which they're going to loan you money? Yeah, I mean, at the at the fundamental level, what they're trying to do is back into how much risk they view uh, on their ability to collect on capital they're deploying. So um, depending on the space, the duration and, you know, different kind of governing metrics or um, guardrails that the bank can put in place around a, a loan facility, um, you're going to get either more expensive capital or cheaper capital. Um, and, and really that's the kind of calculus that they have to be able to decide what, what's their appetite, what's their credit quality that they're looking to, to hold on, on their balance sheet. And then, um, you know, can they justify these decisions over, you know, a repeated basis with, uh, you know, the fed, uh, and that's, that's how a bank gets to kind of what their, what their appetite is for certain types of loans. Yeah, so, when you the Fed, yeah, you were talking about the Federal Reserve Bank or Uncle Sam's Bank, where that's where they make money, I think, or pretty <laughs> close, or pretty, or right next door to where they make it. Yeah. You're in Denver, they make money. They make money in Denver. I've been to that yeah. place. So, yeah, we got yeah. over here. Yeah, if you could pick some up, send it on over. Send it, but it's but you know the banks also borrow money to then loan money. And that Correct. regard, so that's federal pools, and you'll hear things like, "Oh, we're the the Fed is raising rates or lowering rates," and you know what? I'm not even going to pretend to get into the the math on that, you know, because they're trying. Uh, there, there's a whole lot of things that they're trying to accomplish, but those changes in rates can have a significant impact on banks and a lot of different stuff. So, 
Um, I know that people are usually excited when they lower the rates. It, it's a low rate environment. People should definitely be excited right now. Um, and I think yeah, you, and it ha- it has been for a long time, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're at record low rates. Uh, you, you hear about it, I'm sure, on the radio in your car. Uh, everybody wants to help you refinance your home right now. Um, they're effectively, and I don't think it's worth necessarily diving into all of the different math around it, but um, and, and reasoning behind it. But we're in a low rate environment, and I don't think the expectation is that we'll see any type of rate increases in the near future, um, unless there is some type of really large inflationary measure that happened, you know, multiple quarters in a row, or at least. Yeah, that's- and that's the government. The, go- the government wants cheap money out there, so businesses. Well, and here, I mean, well, let's the business of banking. How about PPP loans? I mean, that's been a big thing, and I'm assuming you guys don't do those either. Um, you know, we are not an SBA lender traditionally, but we actually right. did a stand up a PPP, um, basically facilitation program for all of our businesses, just to make sure that our clients had access to those funds when they were available. So PPP, uh, at what, what was that? Payroll protection. What's yes, sir. The third P program. program was it payroll protection program. Okay. So, uh, that was, uh, that, that was a, a godsend to a lot of businesses. I mean, it really was. And much like an SBA loan, those are loans that were fully backed. So, and SBA loans usually aren't fully backed. They're pretty close though. Um, and that's that's why banks get into them because the lending, the, the borrower doesn't normally fit into that traditional mold. So with the SBA, that's that's a, a guarantee of sorts. And I can't remember what the what the number is, but I think that I think the government is at 70, 80% protection for the bank. So they have mitigated the downside of that loan going south. And the reason they need to do that is, I mean, quite honestly, a business that's a year or two old, so, I mean, I they they're still not stable in most cases. They're, you're still figuring it out in a lot of spots. And it, by making the, it easy for the bank to make those loans, uh, well, it's kind of a proven winner. And with PPP, and I don't understand all the numbers of it, but I, I do understand that for a lot of banks, that was a big windfall because they, got a, they had to process so many of those so quickly. And I think if people think about getting a loan from a bank, the word fast is not usually is usually not in the, unless they're, unless they're swearing about why it isn't fast. So with PPP, the federal government had to lean on the infrastructure of all banks to distribute it, to take it in. And basically, you know, like they gave out a lot of money real fast and that wasn't, that isn't the norm at most banks, is it? No, and I think the the PPP is uh, certainly an outlier as far as those type of situations go. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of banks had to stand up a separate PPP infrastructure just to be able to facilitate the loan. And really what you had is the bank acting as the mediator or facilitator between the businesses and the government in that instance. Um, but yeah, it was an impressive endeavor kind of by all parties involved. I recognize, you know, if you did go get a PPP loan, there was probably some friction in the process uh, just because it was, uh, you know, got several parties that were uh, dealing with moving targets, uh, probably most likely of all um, the SBA, you know, they're not used to that type of volume flowing through there. 
Uh, so to be able to, you know, get through that number of loans and be able to vet all of that and do that, you know, securely with taxpayer money was a, a major feat. But, uh, you know, institutions like SVB and others uh, basically had to build up a program just to do that uh, separate to their day-to-day -day business, which was probably already dealing with a little bit of uh, trauma as well from just the general macro environment. Well, that's that's where a lot of fintechs won. Now, before we talk about too much more of that, I want to remind everyone that this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. SVB has been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for over 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank is built for what's next, svb.com. At least go to the site and check it out, people. There's a lot of good information. And uh, once again, thanks for for helping us get the word out. Now, when it comes to getting the word out, um, you know, the, the PPP stuff was pretty unclear for a lot of people. And I think that's where, I mean, it was, you talk yeah. about what's their friction for us, not so much. Why? Because we had our shit together. Right. But a lot of people didn't. And, you know, especially the time of year that it was coming out and a whole lot of different things that, that made it, you know, a lot of people just didn't have their books up to date and, you, you know, and then a line formed, but that's where FinTech kind of won on PPP. You saw a lot of FinTech companies and you look at a company like uh, Cabbage, for example, Cabbage is, uh, was kind of a cash flow lender of sorts and they, they cut everyone's credit line off and they're like, we just do PPP now because they had the, they had the, the mechanism to process all that and dial right in to, you know, to the SBA's coffers. And that is like an online program. And for us, that, that was pretty straightforward, but a lot of people got locked out and a lot of people had problems with that. And, you know, I think that's when you get back to the business of banking and the business of banking hasn't always been about creating technology, not to mention the fact that Business banking is is a business and an industry that I'll that I'll, I'm not afraid to call fragmented. Meaning, there's a lot of different banks, a lot of different entities, and you have some real whales out there. And then there's just a ton of small community type banks. And when it comes to stuff like that, it, it's difficult for them to innovate because the business side of it. Well, it's expensive to do that at your bank or at your business. And you've got thousands of different entities building the exact same thing a thousand different ways. And uh, here locally, I saw my, my personal bank merge with like 12 other banks and form the security bank of Kansas City, as they called it. And that had to, that had to be a, one of the reasons why, because trying to support the business of banking as a small community bank but imagine that's kind of difficult for them. Um, I'm not sure, but we've seen some fundamental changes in that side of the business. I, I, have you noticed that? Yeah, I mean, I think consolidation in banking, particularly on the small side, is uh, going to continue to happen. And I, I think as you see businesses that are able to be more flexible and, and adapt to technology, you're going to probably see them be able to you know, buy assets from other businesses that aren't able to be as agile and adapt as quickly. Um, and, and really when you're looking at like uh, these type of kind of bank consolidation um, trends, I guess what I would point to being kind of at least leading the market would be you want to have a business that's able to service clients dynamically. Um, 
if you're thinking about traditional banking, they're also going to need capital to be able to deploy in order to service those clients and meet those needs. And so if you have a better interface, a better way to efficiently do that, then it makes sense for you to go out, acquire those assets, and then run it through kind of your mousetrap versus uh, rebuilding something. Or if you're this smaller bank that's getting acquired, um, try to rebuild that type of interface uh, because that's just going to be more costly of an endeavor. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, and that's the key. So, you know, in some cases forming a pack, you know, is it's combining resources. It's smart. It makes sense. And it also creates less competition for them in many ways, because like I said, with our local banks here, kind of merging 10 of them together, um, you know, that's, I often refer to that and people refer to that as, as a spoken hub model, because when you can centralize your resources, it's actually cheaper to run 10 locations than it is one in many cases, because when you have nothing but one-offs, well, you've got 10 presidents, 10 vice presidents, 10 this, 10 that. And you usually don't, those people aren't usually working at full capacity. So keeping track of them across 10 units or 10 locations or even more, uh, that consolidation of expenses makes a lot of sense for businesses and then if you think about who the local community banks are competing against, I mean, you got Wells Fargo and Bank of America and like, well, they're, they're kind of big. Yeah. Yeah. They're no names. To say the uh, least. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. What you're talking about is just those scaling issues. Uh, and that can kind of drive back into why some banks can seemingly be difficult to work with. It's how do you balance being able to work to a customized solution and still be able to scale so that you can make money. So going forward for the banking industry, I mean, what, what, what lies ahead, you know, cause any, there's, there's clearly disruption occurring. There's, you know, the FinTechs that are popping up and, and we say FinTechs, but we haven't really talked about it, example of what well, we gave a couple examples, but they're attacking the fee structures or the way that money is invested. And some of these things chip away at the foundational elements of the traditional banking business, but they're still in today's topic, which the bit is the business of banking, you know, yeah. and that's so, I mean, we, in America, we like, we want to try as entrepreneurs, we want to try to do things better, faster, and cheaper. Is that what fintechs are inherently doing with their model compared to the traditional? Yeah. I mean, that's certainly the goal. Um, so I think what fintechs have been able to do to date is bring access to a greater portion of the market. And when you talk about a Robin Hood, basically that's a play of this is something that used to be, you know, traditionally reserved for the few, and we're going to make this accessible to the many. Um, you know, you're also thinking about speed and ease of use when you talk about like a cabbage or some type of neobank where you're you're looking at, you know, hey, I'm standing up an account in a day um, kind of situation. And all of those things are fantastic for the consumer. I think where we're going to see an interesting crossroads is the traditional banks. Um, you know, one of the value adds that they have there is there's security there. There's security and then there's governance. They are regulated because we can get ourselves into a situation where if things aren't under a regulatory purview, then you can have kind of massive market implications, like you mentioned with the ninja loans of 2008. Um, and so when those two things collide, can banks either adapt and become more flexible, utilize technology better and provide a better service that's quicker and more accessible, or 
you know, can a fintech be able to uh, absorb some of the the cost and time suck that would go into you know dealing with regulatory issues and making sure that you are you know building up that safety that you're needing to provide to a consumer and it's you know whoever can blend those those two features best is probably going to end up with the best product um, you know TBD it's it's going to be really really cool and interesting to see kind of which side of the house ends up doing the, the other side's uh, shtick a little bit better and just incorporating it into their own. And some of that might, you know, disruption of the traditional model might be really healthy for banks as well, because they may need less locations that which, you know, and, and yes, this does undermine the general nature of employing people in general, but you know, that's, that's, I would imagine that's at most banks, that's probably other than payroll, you know, is one of their bigger expenses. And, you also, I was watching, uh, uh, you know, you talk about the, the transfer to digital and like all digital and, you know, uh, we've seen Bitcoin and stuff like that go all over the place. Uh, but overall, like paper money, like yeah. is, is kind of on the way out. I was watching a, a National Geographic special uh, called Trafficked, and it was about all these crazy things that people do illicitly. And one of them was counterfeiting. And, you know, that's getting easier for people to do, which is a problem, you know, and, but the digital side of things, you know, it, it takes care of stuff. But some of the things with like blockchain and, and other technology may actually, like I said, while banks may view them inherently as being disruptive or even a threat, on some levels, they can actually reduce threats for the bank because with blockchain technology, it would be pretty hard to steal. And that's one of the things that a lot of banks and well, businesses in general, like one of the most common reasons that businesses fail is fraud. So some of that stuff's there to, to reduce and prevent that. Um, but it's yet to be determined how effectively. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the world of, you know, cryptocurrencies and digital fraud, um, and, and security is, that's probably worth an entire another podcast because there's so much going on. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you think about some of the advantages of these new technologies is can you stay ahead of, you know, fraud or is it always going to be this cat and mouse game? I think it'll always be a cat and mouse game, but it's understanding where you can invest, um, you know, new resources to make sure that you're on the, you know, absolute cutting edge of protecting your, your clients, funds and assets. Um, and FinTech has done an excellent job at providing new avenues to do that. Um, you know, as far as, you know, specifically speaking to cryptocurrency, um, there's a lot going on there. I do think that's, uh, fantastic as far as creating kind of a new, a new method for, uh, you know, tr transferring value. I, I think, you know, back to that point of regulation, um, cryptocurrencies oftentimes benefit from this, you know, perceived velocity and I, I'll be curious as to how they react and how dynamic they are to regulation as it steps in, which I think will be inevitable. Um, but truly some of the most interesting stuff happening, at least I think in our modern time is, is how there are these paths to disrupt kind of the traditional uh, means and access to, to money. Yeah. When you talk about money in general, in the business of banking, typically when it comes to money and rates and banks, a tweet from a billionaire doesn't wildly change the value of the US dollar, which, you know, is like at the time that we're recording this is the day after Elon Musk has tweeted that 
that Bitcoin may be a bit overpriced. And it went from like $56,000 down to, I think, before 48000 which is crazy, by the way, because, you know, once again, making fun of myself for being old, I literally remember uh, not pulling the trigger on buying a thousand Bitcoins for $7 a piece. And, and, and the, it just, it, you know, when it had just come out and uh, I'm not saying I would have had the discipline to hold them until now. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's an interesting space. And you also talk about some of that with the burgeoning technologies. It's uh, well, it, 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 there can be wild, wild swings. Now, one of the things that affects banks and their business is regulation. And some people are pro-regulation, some people aren't, but it's all meant to like keep things in their lane, prevent lenders from becoming over leveraged and basically there to ho hoping to uh, disallow the destruction of our own uh, economy. And some of that doesn't exist with crypto. And oh, I, I, trust me, people, some of those altcoins you're buying are vapor. You know, it's like, it's like, I, I'm not sure that the fundamentals behind them are real strong. And <clears throat> overall, when it comes to crypto in general, I understand it. And I don't at the very same time, because, you know, it's like so much, you know, we business banks once had the gold standard, which then became impractical in many regards. And, you know, th I mean, think about it. When you lay down in bed tonight, think about what is money, you know, and that's, that's a, a that's a massive number of people that have faith that a piece of paper or or a digital line on a screen says that they can acquire the things that they need to live and survive. So, you know, it's like I guess it's kind of whatever you want it to. It's that's it's really been interesting with a lot of that stuff and and now you're seeing banks and other funds and other stuff actually buying large amounts of crypto and and that's driving some of the price up. Um, our bank banks aren't even allowed to purchase that, are they? Um, I think one of the things most banks are trying to work through right now is what is their strategy going to be with some of these new emerging um, kind of on on the the cusp businesses. One of them being uh, you know cryptocurrencies. Um, I, I I know that you know SBB is currently. Uh, working very hard on their strategy because we feel that it's a space that we need to at least have a, a strong opinion on and and kind of move forward with um but I, I do think to your point institutions are now learning how to uh, interact with bitcoin um and bitcoin is becoming part of in long-term investment strategies uh, you know it's being purchased by brand name firms uh, on a regular basis you do have billionaires you know tweeting about it um and and so it's it's becoming part of just the the public presence and public purview, and and as a result, I think adoption's increasing, and banks are going to have to learn to deal with it one way or another. And so, you know, getting that strategy up sooner than later is going to prove to be an advantage, in my opinion. You know, it's amazing that Elon will make that tweet about it being overpriced. I'm sure he knew that would probably drop the cost. At the same time, Tesla is in the midst of acquiring billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, so you know, but. But yeah, that, that that to me, and I, and I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but it reflects it reflects uh, an early stage anything when it can be that wildly swung. I mean, in the last year, we've seen Bitcoin go to fifty six thousand and be as low as three, and not too long before it not it wasn't much more than a year ago. It was about a thousand dollars. So yeah, so there's some adoption there. All right.
So once again, this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. SVB has been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for over 35 years. SVB.com, link in the show notes. Hey, people, we tried our best. Trying to define the business of banking in 40 minutes is a difficult task because banks do a lot of different stuff. So we're going to roll right into the conclusion of this episode. Ryan, what what do you want? What are your clo- do you have any closing statements or arguments here uh, as we wrap up our foray of the, into the business of banking? Um, my only closing statement would just be uh, a shameless plug for SVB, where do banks, it. Do yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> banks are supposed to be a service provider for you, and if you're in you know the business of building a high growth company. Um, and you're looking to do that and you want a platform that's going to support you, SVB is going to be there to have your back and kind of help you as an advisor and as a place um, to help your business grow. Yeah, and that's something we didn't get into. And I'll end with that. I think the future of, of banking, like a traditional like bank that you can walk into and like, you know, it isn't just an app or a, a screen on a computer have to have some kind of value add services. And that's what I, that's what I like about SVB is, is, well, it's advice. It's like, what can we do? What could we do? How should we maybe approach it? What are other businesses like mine doing that I could consider or know about? And those value added services are important. And that's one thing an app has a hard time doing is telling you about its experience in the industry. And um, you know, when you think about bankers in general, I often picture kind of crotchety old men. Um, I do. I just kind of think about that, you know, because it's like, it's just, that's just the stereotype that I think about. But those you talk, the older I get, the more I realize how much crap I've survived and made it through, you know, I and mean, it's true. Cause I mean, I'm even old enough to remember like the savings and loan scandals and problems when I was a kid. And you know, the, and, and, and I mean, everything where you have dot-com bubbles, housing bubbles, uh, financial crisis, pandemics, and, and, you know, but that's the, the history and experience are tough to replace with technology. And that's the one, that's an advantage that tradition, in my opinion, traditional banking has, but you got to still get in front of the right people. It's probably not the teller at the, at the bank right on the corner. I mean, you can ask her. Or him. What do you, what do you think? What, how, how did you get through the savings and loan scandals? And most people listening don't even know what I'm talking about. Cause that happened in like the eighties, but that was banks being able to operate outside of no, they had no regulation and they were able to loan to anybody and everybody and, you know, get pretty wild about it. When a lot of those loans went bad, they didn't have yeah. the ability to support it. I, I think, um, so that's way before my time. So my, my uh, input's probably not, not super helpful there, but I think that if you look at where, you know, from, from that, that touch point all the way through, you're talking about dot-com bubbles and housing crises and um, these, different, these different kind of inciting moments historically from a financial perspective, that does kind of build this body of work on how businesses are going to react to, you know, new difficult situations. And from a banking perspective, I think that's, you know, helpful to understand that as a business, when you're going in, you know, to apply for said loan, or you're looking for 
um, some type of service to understand that perspective uh, coming from coming from a bank of, okay, this is why collateral is important. This is maybe why it's not. And so the more information that you have armed yourself with on why a bank acts the way it does, um, probably the better chance you have of navigating it and optimizing the best outcome from your company. And I think that's the perfect way to end this show. So I'm going to get out of here, Ryan. I'll see you next time. Cool. Thanks, man. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.